Hi, I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. Today, I'm sharing secrets with Bruce Pond, the founder of Ocean Protocol, and the founder and CEO of BigChainDB. Bruce is a brilliant guy. He is working super hard on a mission that's very closely aligned with our own mission at Secret Network around increasing the global use of data, unlocking the value of that data, and empowering end users to get value from their own data. In addition, he has a strong interest in artificial intelligence and the use of data to increase the utility of artificial intelligence, again, for end users and people around the world. This idea of scaling the data economy and making it more democratic, I think is a critical piece of our future. And Bruce is one of the critical builders who's not just talking about it, but actually making it happen. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with Bruce. We've had a number of really fun conversations over the past few months, especially as Ocean has launched their data tokens. And we're really excited to be collaborating with Ocean Protocol providing trustless access control for data tokens, as well as decentralized private computation. All of this is critical, as I said, to the data economy and what we're doing to decentralize it. I am really excited for you to hear our conversation, so I won't belabor it any longer. Here is my conversation with Bruce Pond. Bruce, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share some secrets with me. I am thrilled to have this conversation. It's great to be here. Let me start at the very beginning, uh, the question that I ask most of my guests, because uh, even though I know exactly who you are, they might not. So, Bruce, who are you? The The dinner party answer is, is where I push people. Like, you're walking into a dinner party. How do you introduce yourself to the table? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm the founder of a, a startup that uh, works in blockchain and then that normally just turns the faces right then <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, i mean so i'm the founder of a blockchain startup we've done uh, three different ideas in the blockchain space since 2013 before that i used to build banks for a decade uh, and then before that i was a consultant for a decade so i've been i've been working for almost 30 years now wow yeah there's there's a lot of people who you can see now are, are dreaming of escaping the legacy banking, the legacy consulting world, finally getting into the blockchain space. But you've already had nearly a decade of experience trying to build things and solutions that touch the blockchain space, which almost nobody can say since it wasn't really a technology prior to this past decade. So you, not only do you have that depth of experience before the space, you probably have more experience than most of the people who are currently working in the space, period. It's been a long journey. We we focused right at the very beginning on data and giving people kind of more power over the data. Uh, I can go into that if you, if that's interesting for you. But um, it's been seven years, and we are one of the very first companies in the world that was um, funded for blockchain uh, that wasn't financial. Uh, there was only a handful of companies back then in 2013 who was extending who were extending the idea of blockchain and crypto beyond the financial use case of bitcoin etc and um, this was even before ethereum came onto the scene right yeah i remember talking for the first time i believe i talked to you was in 2015 so i was but a graduate student uh, at mit and i was doing a research project on blockchain and digital rights management with a focus on the music industry. And I realized at the time just how little 
research had been done and how much work or how little work had been done for that use case of blockchain. Uh, so like I remember talking to you at the time and just being fascinated that there was anybody working on this professionally at all. And not only that, you had already been working on it for two years. I, I actually remember you in the, in the lecture hall at MIT at, in Boston, and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, you had great enthusiasm. We had been, the moment we started on this in 2013, we realized, uh-oh, this is, this is complicated stuff. There's a lot of uh, inertia in the space, uh, in the intellectual property copyright space. There's a lot of different national laws. What are we getting ourselves into? But at the same time, we were so driven by the idea that you could maybe give people back control over their own data that we said, let's let's just do it. We're, we're going to do it whether it takes five years or 10 years or whenever their money runs out. <laughs> well, it's good to see that you're you're still going on the same vision. And as you said, you've had to be kind of flexible along the way. I, I feel like we've had a similar experience, you know, I, I, between when I was working at Enigma prior to the start of Secret Foundation. But now even now, like it, it feels like both you and I and our respective communities are coming at a lot of these problems that we're seeing in, in the world around the use of data protecting data, sharing data, exchanging data. We're coming at the same problems from different perspectives. We agree on the problems. Each of us have tried a variety of solutions. I'm curious for you to tell people who are listening, because yes, I'm interested and I'm sure they are too, that evolution from how you thought these problems were going to get solved back in like 2013 to 2015 and contrast that like, or, or take us through the story of how you got from thinking like, this is how it's going to happen. Like the things you thought were going to be the solutions. And contrast that to today, where you've landed on some solutions that are finally, you know, getting into the hands of end users and you're seeing them interacting with these solutions. Like, I, I'm curious how that evolution happened and, and anything that you learned along the way, I, I'm sure the audience would want to know as well. Okay, cool. Um, I think anytime you deal with a new technology, you take kind of a scoimorphic approach. And I think Apple uh, popularized this word where you use uh, mental models from the past to infused into the next thing because you actually don't know what the next thing looks like mm -hmm. so when we started out we we started out with this company called ascribe putting intellectual property on the blockchain and we use kind of the web-based interaction model for blockchain where you would just enter in all your information and then you'd claim pr uh, your property uh, on blockchain and this is what at the time of colored coins where you could encode different aspects of the op return within the Bitcoin blockchain for putting in um, kind of a claim. And so what we did is we put a, a unique hash in there. And so as you were transferring that around, that would stick with that transaction so that you could kind of say, I own this. Uh, using the Bitcoin obviously was pretty janky. It was, it's not meant as a data transport layer. It's mm -hmm. meant as a store of value, means of exchange, you know, either the cash version or the store of value. We learned that pretty quick. It took about a year uh, until we realized this is, this is not going to make it. So what we said was, okay, what, what's the next problem? What can we salvage from this? Uh, um, but actually, before we get there, what we did is we, we'd actually realized that uh, intellectual property was spread all over the internet. We went all the way to, I think it was Ted Nelson in the 50s, designing two-way links, backlinks between different sites and why that didn't work, the architecture, uh, and all the way into uh, 2013, 2014. And so what we did is we actually tried to do that. We, we 
we scanned the entire internet for all the photos that were publicly available. We got to about five billion. We used about three hundred thousand dollars in about two months. Amazon called us. They said that we <laughs> used up all the resources in in the Amsterdam and Frankfurt region. They had to move us over to Virginia, which is you know the big hub, right? That, that those right. are the biggest servers outside of Seattle, I think. And uh, so we created this thing called Where on the Net, where you could enter in any photo. And it would tell you where the origin of that photo showed up and where it spread to across the Internet, which was a really cool idea. You could actually visually see uh, your content spreading over the Internet over time as far as kind of our scrapers could go. And that didn't work either because, you know, as soon as we were putting in bills of seventy to $80,000 a month, uh, we realized that that would kill our, our runway within about three months. Yeah. So we stopped that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon was quite happy, uh, but uh, and they had given us some credits, so we used up all those credits. But we realized, no, this, this isn't going to go. So at the end of Ascribe, we're on the net. We said, okay, what's what's missing in this whole construct? And we went there to BigchainDB, which is a decentralized database uh, that has metadata store. Um, and so what we did is we looked at all the we scanned all the distributed databases at the time. And uh, we started with, I forget what it's called because it, it went out of business shortly after we chose them. <laughs> so we had to move, move over to MongoDB, which was a good choice. MongoDB, I think it's gone public now. I don't know what it's worth. It's probably worth, I think, 20 or $30 billion. So that was a good choice to put BigChainDB on top of. And what we did was we turned MongoDB into a metadata store that was decentralized. Uh, we started out with a consensus algorithm that we... Um, we're working with on the co from the Cosmos team, Tendermint, yep. Cosmos. Uh, great stuff. Very popular. We had about 50 POCs. Fantastic. Uh, but we realized this is a services business at this stage. Uh, and the enterprises, the 50 enterprises that had taken a look at our stuff, uh, they their buying cycles are, you know, two to five years uh, because that's how long. Uh, MongoDB had shared a lot of information with us. And so we realized BigchainDB, that also wasn't going to fly. It's a great idea. And I think nowadays we have other types of services, like, for instance, uh, Filecoin is complementary, Arweave, Storage, Sia. There still isn't a decentralized database. Mm -hmm. So uh, stay tuned because perhaps there is room for another BigchainDB to get resurrected someday in some form. Mm -hmm. But we also realized um, in doing BigchainDB that all roads led to uh, – by working with these 50 people, all roads led to kind of provenance of data. Where is the data coming from? Uh, how clean is it? All that sort of stuff. And based on the uh, experience of Trent McConaughey, the co-founder of Big Chain to be ascribed, he realized this is perfect for AI. He had done 20 years of AI driving Moore's Law. In fact, everybody's phone, computer, uh, electronic device functions nowadays because of the software that Trent had built. Uh, to help all the um, semiconductor agencies, uh, companies drive Moore's law uh, and extend it, ex extend its life lifespan by decades uh, mm -hmm. was uh, some of it because uh, Trent had put some of the very first AI powered software to keep driving Moore's law and allow that to happen. So uh, with that, he was very intimate with data, AI. And now because we had been working in blockchain for about two years at that stage, two and a half years, uh, we said, actually, this is the logical conclusion. Right in 2017, 2016, I had been asked, I'd been challenging Trent on tokens, how we could set up a token model, because we realized that um, I'd been 
realizing that community was becoming more and more important in open source and the funding mechanism was uh, via tokens was going to be a special way to do it. Uh, he, he was a little bit more hesitant. He had said, you know, everybody doing the ETH sale is going to go to jail. The SEC is going to come down on you and all that sort of stuff. So he scared me off Ethereum to start with. And uh, but by 2017, with all the ICOs, I said, no, I, th I think this is worth pursuing. I think this is worth pushing the boundary on because I don't think we're doing anything wrong if we let the world partake in a token project. And that took us to ocean. Mm -hmm. So that was that's a little bit on, a little bit of the, the backstory on on why we did a token raise. And so to answer your question, <laughs> what has changed between now and then is we never had an answer for how do you price data? So we knew that everybody, if you're going to open a data economy and get people sharing stuff, you're going to need privacy, comfort, security, all the things that make people comfortable to share their data. So for instance, if Uber made people comfortable getting in a stranger's car, how did they do that? They, they gave certain measures like ratings, uh, visuals on where the car is. Uh, they had standards for everybody, all that kind of stuff. What do we need to do in the data space to make that happen? For us, that's computer data. It's working with, for instance, collaborators like Secret Network or other uh, privacy-preserving uh, technologies to give people along the entire spectrum the chance to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But at the very start, we never had the idea of how do you price data? That was one of the number one questions we'd always gotten from enterprises, individuals. What is my data worth? And um, between now and then, uh, in 2016, 17 until now what happened in the meantime was we have a very lively crypto enthusiast community and we have tools like balancer kyber Bancor, uh and uniswap that allow erc20 tokens to be traded uh, and very liquid and that was a missing piece that we didn't realize so now with ocean v3 uh talking a little bit about like the ocean project right. we have both the privacy, comfort, and security, plus we have the pricing of the data in real time. So anybody who has data, and they, the question they've always asked is, what's my data worth? Post it on Ocean Market, let the crowd decide. The crowd's getting very sophisticated at this, and I'm proud of them for doing this, so that within an hour or two, you're going to have kind of a steady state price on your data that you might not have known the value of. Yeah, the to see how you got here. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are kind of discovering ocean today who don't understand the depth of the ocean, I guess so to speak, right? That they don't they don't see the provenance of ocean itself, but it's it's clear that it was the evolution of not only your own experiences, but uh, as a result of what the capabilities of the space were even going to support and the infrastructure to support your ideas that are that are currently coming to market wouldn't have existed at any other point or adoption of ethereum itself wouldn't have been as widespread at any other point along the way to support some of the concepts that you have now that are getting like on-chain use real adoption which really should be the end goal of of every project trying to build in this space you know especially if you have a token if you have a community adoption should be your touch point because it shouldn't be how well you perform in those two to five year enterprise cycles. It should be how engaging can you create your products in the moment for the people who are going to, you know, in some cases also govern your protocol in the moment. So that's, I commend you for that. I commend your community for that. I, I'm curious then, like, so what is Ocean doing now? Tell people a little bit about that if they're not familiar. Like, 
what's a data token what's live like it, it, it will it'll be cool to hear in your own words what, what you think of the products that are now finally uh tangible i'm really excited uh we've gone through essentially two crypto winters uh, in my time and that's they're hard yep. uh, crypto winters are brutal you have essentially a, a Cambrian like collapse. Let's just say, you know, you had this Cambrian explosion of startups and then you have this Cambrian collapse essentially where everybody's got to thread the needle. So out of a thousand projects, maybe 30 survive. So you're talking like a 3% success rate. Mm -hmm. We've gone through that twice. It's painful. So the fact that we're here now is I'm, I'm just thankful. <laughs> um, and so where are we now with ocean? We have something that the community can use and engage with right now. So if you're a publisher that has data and you want to monetize it, all you need is a little bit of Ethereum, MetaMask, and you're good to go. You go on the ocean market, the community will price your data set within a couple of hours. Uh, they might even consume it within a couple of hours. So you're going to have a global distribution network already, which is essentially the crypto community. Let's, let's say 10 million strong. Uh, 50 million if you look at the entire kind of the world but the alt the alt crypto community is probably i'd say 10 million people uh, a lot of them are looking at ocean and uh, we had 30,000 uniques in the first two weeks uh looking at ocean which is way more than we expected it's impressive and uh, our our transaction volume went up 30x from baseline and we actually had to ask the community to slow down a little bit and they've been they've been gracious enough to kind of just keep it on, <laughs> give us some time. So it's good. The dev team needed it. We're we were tired going into releasing Ocean V3. Now we're even more tired. So we're looking forward to the Christmas season and giving some people a little bit of well-deserved break. So that's that's for publishers. We have a community of crypto enthusiasts who are staking on the data. So they're actually making a bet on the data and they're using they're putting their own ocean token, their valuable ocean token, uh, up four data sets uh, as they come out because they want to be a part of pricing these tokens and potentially getting a, a share of the earnings uh, as well as the value of the liquidity pool as it rises up. So that's great. And then as a consumer, I mean, you now have another channel where you can find data that uh, means that you can be anywhere on earth if you need some research data and you're in some corner of the world where that access isn't necessarily done. Maybe you're not in Silicon Valley. Maybe you're not in Boston, but you're in somewhere in rural America or somewhere else. You you have access to that data, and um, and that's our. It's very hopeful for us. So we've come a very long way. We've taken a lot of the learnings we've had, and the main thing is that it's inter the interaction with a user, with the product is possible now. Uh, Wayne Gretzky is famous for saying you got to skate to where the puck is going <laughs> not where the puck is and the crypto space is moving so fast not only do you have to have product market fit find that and that's so difficult number two is you have to also see where the technology is going whether it's you know eth 2.0 polka dot some of these other uh, protocols that are coming out and and design your protocol assuming that by the time you get to the point x other people will have built the other bridges to point X so that you're not just hanging there out in space. So it's it's the most unique ride, the most exhilarating ride I've ever been on in my life. And I, it looks like it's going to go on for a little bit longer. Yes, I, I can say with confidence that there's not that many people in the world who have had to experience 
what you've had the fortune and, uh, of course, the exhaustion of experiencing. I like to think I've experienced some of it, but to be fair, I, I haven't even been at this nearly probably about half as long as you guys. So it, it also blows my mind sometimes to talk to people where, you know, they're looking back at like even that first cycle, like back, back at the expectations back in 2013, 2014, what people were saying about Bitcoin or PureCoin or whatever then, and then what they were saying about ETH in 2017, and now what they're saying about the proliferation of DeFi protocols, like who knows what they're going to be saying in 2021. And not only do you not know where the puck is necessarily going to be, you don't know when it's going to get there. You don't know what people are going to value when it gets there. The communication channels are always changing. The personalities are always changing. Sometimes they leave the space and they only come back for crypto summer. You know, they're fair weather influencers or whatever it is. So I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces popping up from my past. It's it's so interesting to see how those cycles work. And yet then there's some people who you do see them again and again, like you guys, popping up because there's always going to be like you, you seem to have like a very foundational thesis about where the space is going. And we share that thesis. And also some of like our co-investors like Outlier Ventures seem to share that thesis around Web3, around the decentralization of the web and the the revaluing of data and the reconfiguration of data pipelines and, and user ownership and monetization of data so like if you had to summarize like your thesis right now on where the where the puck is kind of going with data in the blockchain space and what we're going to be valuing in 2021 and and the pieces that are coming you've you've alluded to some of it around like where is the decentralized database layer where you know where is the private compute layer where is this where's this do you have a personal thesis right now that that you feel comfortable articulating i think at the at the highest level blockchain is a general like crypto is a general purpose technology that we didn't realize we had and for those of you who don't know what a general purpose technology is it's this concept in 2005 uh, an economist i think richard lipsy talked about where there's only been about 30 general purpose technologies ever created and you can talk about agriculture fire language the alphabet numerology these types of things and you get to electricity the internet uh nowadays ai and now blockchain. Blockchain is kind of like this database with value built in uh, technology. And when you have a general purpose technology, it drives innovation for the next 100 years. It, it's one of those components that can drive innovation for 100 years. So, for instance, electricity, we're still finding cool ways to use it 100 years later. Uh, blockchain is one of them. And the beauty of general purpose technologies, they they mix and match with other technologies and existing technologies that have been around for a thousand years. Uh, and they help create way more value. So if you look at blockchain combining with AI, blockchain combining with the internet and everything that the internet has spawned, our piece is just a small part of that, which is AI plus blockchain. I guess it's not that small, but it's huge. Um, and we think that we can put the the future world onto blockchain rails where all data has a certain provenance but it's also owned by the individual user or company that creates it or collects it. And the secret there is, of course, giving people keys to their own data, number one, and number two, putting privacy, uh, putting prices on that. So people say, how if Facebook owns all this data, how do I get it back? Well, 
the secret is for you to know how much that data is. And when you have 2 billion people all knowing the value of their data, they might actually knock on Facebook's door and say, give us back this data. And when you have that movement over thousands of different web services that have cropped up since the start of the internet, the banks, the governments, all that sort of stuff, you're going to have this sucking sound from every in, every company out towards the individuals. And that is kind of the rebalancing of the power. Andreas Antonopoulos talked about this also, where he, he talked about infrastructure inversion, where when the car came, you had these dirt roads. And because of the car, you had to switch those dirt roads into asphalt. But you know the horses could still walk on the asphalt. But because you had asphalt, you had the ability for bikes, two-wheelers, cars, and horses to run. And of course, horses, it was a relatively inferior type of transportation mode. So they, it, it, it were superseded by these other things. Blockchain is going to do exactly the same thing. It's infrastructure inversion where we have centralized databases. And what's going to happen is everything is going to start living on blockchain, whether it's um, Polkadot, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, etc. This is the core layer. And all these financial services, all the data service, everything is going to live on top of blockchain, except it's been rebalanced. Everybody now owns their own data where they didn't before. And then now you're going to have the value layer go on top of it. And so the thesis on top is DeFi is rebuilding the financial system on blockchain rails. And by having Ocean Token as an ERC-20 token compatible with any EVM, Ethereum type system, smart contract system, you're going to be able to turn data into a financial good. It's going to be collateral. You can use it for lending. You can securitize it, securitize data streams, securitize subscriptions, all this sort of stuff. Any type of data that you have will be able to now meet with the financial system that everybody in Wall Street or London or Tokyo already knows about, but the rest of the world didn't. And one thing that I'm particularly uh, enthusiastic about is very few people knew about technical analysis for stocks. It was, it was quite a niche piece of skill for people to understand that. With crypto, you have probably 10 million people understanding technical analysis. So that type of uh, knowledge, that type of lingo, language, technology, let's just call it, is spreading to people because there's a lot of people who are making their livelihoods from trading uh, tokens. Well, right. you're going to have a, a 100x on top of that of people who are going to be trading the, uh, data sets uh, and information uh, as a profession, which wasn't possible before, and they're going to come from all corners on Earth. That's going to be fascinating. So I have a personal background as a trader, as an options trader, and then before that was was a game theory concentrator in my undergrad work. So it's interesting to me to suddenly see uh, an entire technical space, the blockchain world, that's all about incentive design at the application layer, but also at the protocol layer, and all of the, the skill sets that I had, just because I was fascinated with the core concepts, it seemed to, clar it seemed to qualify me only for a line of work as a, as a poker player or, or an active trader of like equities or futures or something like that. And now we're saying there's a line of work, there's a profession for people who will then be applying this expertise to data sets themselves or to prediction markets. And, and it makes the whole world run more efficiently, more effectively. It, it I, I've said it on other uh, episodes of this podcast, but the idea of 
creating a larger surplus for the data creators and the data consumers and and both are capturing more of it because we've eliminated some of the middlemen or we've eliminated some of the negative externalities of, of the platforms that are currently centralizing and repackaging data for mostly the purposes of advertisement and not for the purposes of insight beyond how to service better advertisements uh, more frequently and they've gotten really good at that. I hate to say it, but there's got to be more to these technologies than that. And I, and I find your version of events and your thesis to be a lot more optimistic. And it seems a lot more humanist, the idea that we are the creators of our own data. We can be the masters of our own data and the masters of our own futures as a result. So do, do you find that like this is the way that the ocean community feels as well, that they feel very empowered by these technologies and optimistic towards their future? I think I think we definitely have a group like that. Like the ocean community has has grown significantly in one year, and so you definitely have a core group who are who align with the vision. You you have the crypto enthusiasts who might be more focused on the token dynamics and the how it's it's getting adoption amongst enterprises and such like that. But mm. at the core, I think it's also very personal. I think that it resonates with most people who buy ocean, who hodl it who trade it, what have you, or who use the ocean market or become even like a developer is that this vision that we're trying to do, it's, it's shared. It's for everybody. It's some way that we can all interact. That's, I guess, non-political, but it's still political, right? Because we're all making a political statement. The only thing is it's not against one specific government. It's a, against kind of the system. And as much as I, believe that there are positive aspects of the system. There's a lot of negative aspects, and this is one of them. The internet wasn't built with these two-way links, and that was the original sin. Uh, it couldn't have been done in the 1950s. We didn't have the technology for this. Mm -hmm. But because of that, uh, you had an internet that was funded by advertising. And that is that is the role of the internet, fundamentally. Uh, and there's a lot of great things about that, because now you can buy stuff. There's e-commerce, everything like that. But you also have these huge platforms that just suck up human people's data because it's great for advertising. So what happens if we could change that model and use it for medical research, for better design of cities, better transport? Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of ways that we can improve our lives without having to be advertised to. Yeah, I, I completely see that vision. I can also see how in a global community, everybody does have their own incentives. They do have their own motivations towards this, and they're going to be motivated by different pieces of this vision. Uh, but ultimately let, let me ask you this then we, we're talking about or you've mentioned uh how you're saying that ocean is maybe only a small piece uh of the solution here a small a small piece of the stack and it, what does that mean for then the importance of collaboration because you're talking about product market fit you're saying it's hard enough to get it today you also need to know that you're getting towards it in the future so we recently announced about some of the stuff that Secret Network and Ocean are looking to work on together. And all of that is in the surface of finding product market fit for both protocols and for some of these key applications and use cases that Ocean is developing. What do you think of the state of collaboration in the space? Because we're all building these different essential pieces of the stack. Why, why is it essential? Why is it challenging? Uh, especially when there's like competing visions towards like how the infrastructure is going to fit together in the future. Like what have the ch been the ch main challenges that you have found around collaborations? What do you see as the main opportunities in working together to create this better internet, create this better web three? Yeah, I, th I think if you're talking 
the networks like Ethereum, Polkadot, all that sort of stuff. There's definitely going to be competing visions and then the architecture designs and stuff. Anything above that, like applications, tooling, what you guys are doing, what we're doing, we float a little bit above that, which is good. It allows us a, a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. We collaborated uh, as Big Chain DB with Arweave, with Filecoin, Storage, all these guys. I had no problems with that. Uh, any of the secure compute, private compute, all those kinds of things, none of those things are problems with us. We will integrate with any and all of those. So I think if you're above the L0, L1 layer, mm-hmm. that opens up a ton of freedom for all of us. And we need to because there's so much greenfield, there's no need to compete. Uh, I, I, that's one of the questions that we used to get always when we were doing fundraising and even less frequently now. But who are your competitors? I don't even, does it even matter? A, we're, we're too small to even worry about whether or not we have competitors because anybody who is more established, they're just, they could just crush us in that sense. But at the same time, together as a movement, if we can all work together, then sooner rather than later, we'll actually be something meaningful in order to enact the change that we want to see. Um, so in terms of collaboration, I'm, I'm really hopeful. It's pretty clear the protocols that have survived through this little pinhole that we all went through where about 30 projects survived out of a thousand. So it's pretty clear who you can collaborate with. So, and then since then there've been probably a, a few more hundred that have sprung up that are kind of viable. They have traffic, they have uh, kind of adoption. So um, we try to look for things that meet our maturity level when we're ready. I think that's the biggest challenge. We've, I think we had been talking with you guys like Enigma Secret Network f- right from the very beginning, but there wasn't really uh, an integration point because both teams were working on their own thing, trying to uh, get the product market fit, build a community, uh, satisfy investors, this type of thing. Now is the time where we have our V3. You guys have come up with your technology that we can start looking at that type of um, collaboration. And so that, that's been mainly, mainly the, the main thing, as, I, as we said, is the, it takes time to build this technology. Mm-hmm. And if you can survive one or two crypto winters, then you're getting to a point where that technology can finally go into production. Hopefully, there have been other survivors. You band together and, and it'll be a strong group of people because uh, of the resilience of making it through all that. Yeah, there's a lot of technologies, a lot of protocols, a lot of applications kind of coming out in the space right now where on paper everything seems great, but especially in the DeFi space where the, the feedback cycles are pretty tight now, like things can grow super fast and then implode in a matter of minutes. And a lot of it has to do with the composability of the space at the application layer. It's like that composability enables this growth, enables this collaboration. It also increases the attack surface and makes it a very risky bleeding edge sort of ecosystem to be interacting with. And and I think the protocol developers for the most part are responsible in terms of communicating that to to their communities. They they take responsibility and they say this stuff is bleeding edge. You can get burnt, uh, but you can also like do really incredible and unique things. And sometimes people, you know, they'll they'll read the warning label and they'll kind of throw it away and they'll do whatever they want as a result. And that's good and bad. You know, we're experimenting in production and you get some cool stuff as a result. You also get some kind of dangerous stuff as a result. And as, as protocol developers and application developers, I think we're all comfortable with that. Um, I, I worry about the consequences sometimes for growth or what's going to happen to the new uh, the new wave of adopters in 2021, let's say, trying to come in and interact with the DeFi space when we know it 
kind of has a giant flashing <laughs> warning label on it right now already, a neon sign really that should say, "Be beware of exploits. So uh, I, I worry that all those people are going to get burnt in a different way that they got burnt during like 2017 and 2018. They'll get burnt by trying to take advantage of decentralized leverage in a way that they don't really understand because most people don't understand either decentralization or leverage. Um, but so that's where I see the challenges of, of the composability and collaboration. Like it unlocks everything, but it's also creating risks when people do it too haphazardly. Like they're so excited to be building all this stuff and having it all be in production at the same time and you're matching stuff up. There's only so many projects like, like us who have been building for the better part of like three to five years versus, you know, one year. And you, you can't really know, especially with the trend of like anonymous founders, like you don't really know what's what's still going to be here. And yet we're asking people to build the financial future uh, of the entire world on top of DeFi. Do, do you ever feel like that's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance in the current messaging around DeFi? It's like it's going to be the rails of the future. We can all know that. But then you also see how it's like impacting users today. You know, is it? I think that this is a necessary phase that we go through we feel amazing in this space at, in general everybody because you are we're all in some way on the cusp of experimenting with this and yes there are definitely people who suffer when they go into some of these protocols without fully knowing the um, implications and such like that but this is how markets form this is how technology gets developed you have a lot of human greed you have the incentive for people to run forward and be the first out to release products, uh, the most engaging products. I'm very hopeful about this because if you think about crypto before, like if the time before crypto, everybody was talking about Silicon Valley with their next app that nobody wanted or needed, but served a very narrow group of privileged people in the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. And with crypto, we actually got back to researching people. I, I've had people come up to me and say, I read 3000 white papers and, and yours kind of made sense. You know, that type of thing. Wow. You actually had people understanding money again, the systems that we operate in, white papers, academic research, really deep tech, the stuff that, you know, people like Zuko did, uh, Filecoin, yourselves, really deep stuff about asking first principles questions on the technology. And, and then you have the visionary of, can we give back control to people? Can we redesign the storage system? Can we redo the financial system? Mm -hmm. I would take this any day over some of the crap that was coming out of Silicon Valley in the last, like five years ago. And now that the conversation has gone to crypto and you know, is there a cognitive dissonance of we can take over the world, but we're really actually we're just a real small speck. I'm OK with that because I, I think we need to understand that the technologies that we're building right now will have an impact. Uh, a few of them will get through that next pinhole that we all have to go through. Mm -hmm. And those that do are going to be highly influential. So we should have that conversation now and every project should be somehow aware of it. And the users who get hurt now I mean, they can still say uh, in 10 years to their grandchildren or what have you, I was a part of that. I experimented it. I got burnt on it. But yeah, I, I did fine in the end, that type of thing. So I, I'm pretty confident anybody who's experimenting now in the crypto world, whether entering right now or even five years ago, 
in 10 years, everybody's going to be fine if you stick with it and don't get too crazy and check on the downside a little bit. I Everything you're saying is resonating with me. I, I just had a flashback while you were telling the... the, the because again, we compare crypto projects to crypto projects. We forget to talk about some of these other relative bubbles. I remember being um, one of those like young entrepreneurs during my MBA, like with Foundation Capital, and they flew us out there for a day to sit in on one of the VC board meetings where a company was going to come and pitch. And I sat in on the one that uh, I think it was called Lux, like the valet company. It was just a company like for valet services. And I remember the unit economics were just absolutely atrocious. And at the same time, they were trying to expand to like 30 new markets. And then they were like asking for uh, like, I think it was like something like a $500 million valuation when they were just bleeding out. And I remember they stopped presenting and like the VCs went around and like there were two prevailing attitudes in the room. One was, I use this myself and it's really useful for me. It's inevitably going to scale. Um, because obviously all of the VCs can afford to pay for valet services anytime they do anything in San Francisco, and clearly this is going to work in 30 different global markets. And then the other prevailing attitude was, well, this could easily be a unicorn, could easily be a billion-dollar company. We need to invest in potential billion-dollar companies, and it's already halfway there, so we got to do it. Um, that was fun. That was depressing. Uh, it kind of took me off the path from ever considering uh, being a VC in the traditional world. Being a crypto VC is a little more interesting and, and definitely carries like all kinds of different sub definitions you see every type of fund or investor in the you see activist DeFi funds you know you see everything in the crypto world now i i agree with you that that way was that other way that i'm talking about is kind of boring and kind of like motivated again the same way by like greed and these other weird systems the feedback cycles in crypto are so tight things happen so fast new things get built things get destroyed it's just inevitably going to grow so quickly. And yeah, something is going to keep fitting through the pinholes. Uh, you really hope that it's you. You really hope it's your tech. You hope your vision is right at the right time. But there have been other cycles in history, like the very early stages of the internet, where you know everybody tried a lot of things. It did move really fast, and only very few survived. And it wasn't necessarily always the people that you thought would have survived it. You, you I think, are similarly going to need like very, like a very wide range of expectations for how this space is going to play out. You need you need to loosen your confidence intervals a little bit for everything that happens in crypto, because I think so much of what we're seeing now, we could not have predicted even a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. In fact, like one of the things that's really beautiful about this general purpose technology, it's the very first one that the world is sharing all at once, whether you're in Tokyo, Tel Aviv, San Francisco, what have you. This is the very first technology that is not centered in Silicon Valley. It's not centered in, let's say, Berlin, like some of the other technologies may have been centered back at the turn of the century. And I think up until crypto, Silicon Valley had a monopoly on innovation, at least the capital formation side of it. So that's right. where the innovation had to go to. And with crypto, you are seeing this innovation starting to happen all over the place. I, I was hearing about this incubator who's trying to get like 20 different uh, companies and they have a lot of... Um, applications and they're they're in some city in Indonesia and they're going to be a crypto focused incubator who would have ever thought that was happening you know can you imagine like an ai focused incubator that would you know let's say would be in mongolia it's just not something you would have thought of yet today with crypto it's there and so i think that that is adding a lot of resilience 
if you look at AI, it was about 60 years of AI winter. They went through about five cycles over uh, since the early 50s when they did the, the models and, and the algorithms mm-hmm. that all worked. They just lacked all the data until about 2010. And then AI really started hitting with crypto because we have a worldwide movement. I have, I'm very hopeful that it's not going to die out. It, it definitely won't. It's going to wash over the world over the next two decades and then it will be a fabric of the world. And then you're going to start seeing even more companies build thousands, millions of companies building mm-hmm. on top of crypto native. And we're going to displace a lot of the existing companies, whether they're banks, supply chain companies, information companies, data, all that sort of stuff. It's going to be wild and crazy and weird. I, I like all of those adjectives. Uh, so let's just hope it's also sustainable, but I, I like everything that you're saying. I think a lot of people listening feel exactly the same way and that's why they're here. So if any of those people listening, this is my final, but I think essential question. If any of those people listening are not currently full-time in the blockchain and crypto space, and they've been thinking, uh, like you did, you know, all like seven years ago, or, or like I did a few years back, like taking the dive into fully going into the crypto space on, on any side of the space, right? Whether it's as an, a researcher, an investor, a builder, uh, what is the best piece or a couple pieces of advice you would have for somebody who's looking to make that leap from maybe either from school or from a more traditional corporate job coming into this space? What, what do you got for them? I mean, for a school, it's pretty easy. Find a project that resonates with you and go do an internship. Uh, every project is looking for talent, so uh, the door is open. Um, for somebody who's a little bit more, yeah, totally, yeah. Like, we can use it all, uh, whether community people, developers, evangelists, just people who manage projects, what have you. So go for it. Uh, if you're a little bit more established, I mean, then then you got some other things, but I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about this uh, FIRE movement, you know, financial freedom, retire early, all that kind of stuff. So Mm. one of the best ways that you can get involved in crypto is, you know, make it a side gig where you're learning about stuff, you're doing part-time trading, all that sort of stuff. And then at the same time, you're also reducing all your expenses. I think with COVID, everybody realizes how little they really need to be happy. Mm. Just need good family, good food and good sleep uh, and a little bit of working out. So, uh, so if, if you are kind of already midway in your career, just make sure that you got a, a low burn rate, uh, start trading on the side. And then if you want to actually jump into a project, same thing as if you're just out of college, just find something that resonates with you. There's a lot of great teams out there and they'd love to have excellent talent. Yeah, no, I, I can echo absolutely everything that you're saying. Just do anything, right? We, we try to open up doors for people who don't have a traditional technical skill set. And of course, you don't need to be like a you know five-year blockchain engineering experience or whatever to start making a difference. That's the job listings you're going to see. But in terms of being a community member, especially now that there are the application layer is emerging, just get hands-on with something that you actually want to use. Like go interact with uh, data tokens and, and get a data set up there. Like things like that, like, they're such straightforward pieces of advice now. You couldn't have given that advice like two years ago, like go start screwing with DeFi. You couldn't. So now it's like, yeah, don't do not do anything more than you can afford to lose. But to understand the technologies now today, like it, it, it's so important. And as you said, like no matter what, you'll look back and you'll look at the like massive freight train that, that's coming right now to the financial system of the world and the data systems of the world. And you will at least be able to say, uh, yeah, I, I rode that train or maybe it ran me over, but I was there. I definitely saw the train. There was a train. 
that's 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 the best I can do. You always want to be on the train, not under the train. But for the most part, I feel like if you're here now listening to this, you're you're on the train, and and I just hope, and I'm sure Bruce hopes, that you make good decisions with with your time on the train. Uh, any, I was gonna say, Bruce, in our closing moments, anywhere that people can go to learn more about Ocean, to learn more about your products or about you personally, this is the time to shill. Give people some links, anything that they can do to stay in touch. Yeah, just go to blog.oceanprotocol.com. That's where we laid out our vision and all the stuff we're doing. And then from there, you can go everywhere else, uh, oceanprotocol.com, etc. Visit the Ocean Market uh, if you really want to get it. If you've got MetaMask and a little bit of ETH and some Ocean, perfect. Uh, stake on your first data set, see how it goes, join the Telegram communities. But um, it's very active. It's very lively. And we try to imbue the community with uh, welcomeness and openness to everybody who joins. So hopefully you get a good welcome when you join. Excellent. Uh, I can I can say uh, from personal experience, you do get a very nice personal welcome. So please check it out. Bruce, I really appreciate all the time you gave us. I hope we can continue the conversation soon. We've been doing some panels. We've been doing some podcasts. Let's see what we do next. Thank you very much, Tor. Always great to talk to you. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you choose to share it. I also hope that you choose to check out Secret Network and what we're building. You can find us on Twitter at Secret Network our homepage, scrt.network. You can join our official chat at chat.scrt.network where you can connect with our global community of privacy advocates and passionate community members who help contribute to open source, privacy-first technologies. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you join us again for the next time we share secrets.